I found out this morning that 42 years ago, I worked with Lila's son-in-law at UPS. <laughs> we, we worked the same shift, and I saw him this morning and said, I know that face. Lewis, it's so good to see you. God bless you, brother. Oh, my. Oh, my. What a blessing. Um, yesterday, uh, another blessing, a family that uh, a couple I married 17 years ago wanted to be baptized, and their children, who are now 13 and 10, wanted to be baptized as well. And so I was able to do that in a lake near Wausau yesterday. That was just a huge blessing. If any of you have not experienced believer baptism and are interested in that, would you just on the back of your communication card mark the letter B? Just write a B on there and we'll get in touch with you and, and we will set something up. We'd be glad to share that blessing with you as well. So today we are in week four of a four-part mini-series in John chapter 15. I thought we'd just kind of camp in John chapter 15 for a, a few weeks. And so the first Sunday, we looked at Jesus, the true vine, and then uh, he is our, our source of life. Uh, we are grafted into him. Uh, spiritually, we find our life in him. God, the gardener, was week two, and we considered how he grafts us in and he provides for our needs. Last week, we considered ourselves as branches, and we saw that our main task is, is remaining in the vine, abiding in him, and drawing that life from him. And so today, we want to conclude that series looking at fruitfulness. We're going to be in John chapter 15, and uh, if you have a, a Bible in some form, I would invite you to take that out right now, and if you need one, the guys are coming down the aisle right now with one like this, and just catch their eye, and they'd be glad to give you one. And if you don't have one at home, take it home with you. We'd love to give you that. And uh, in that Bible, John chapter 15 is on page 752. So let's turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to look together at the first eight verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, parenthesis, pruned, same word, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." All of us, as branches of the true vine, want to be fruitful. And if we're going to be fruitful, there are some things we will need to understand about viticulture. Viticulture. Do you like that word? Viticulture. Viticulture is the study of grapes. And a sesquipedalian is somebody who likes using long words. But 
Viticulture, four key words we want to look at in terms of understanding the study of grapes. And they come out of verse 2, where Jesus says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Four words that we want to focus on this morning. Fruit, bearing, cutting, and pruning. Those four we want to zero in on. So first of all, fruit. What is it? What is this fruit that Jesus talks about here? Uh, fruit is just the natural product of a healthy plant. Think in terms of that. It's the natural product of a healthy plant. And so fruit that Jesus wants to produce here is, is the fruit that shows our union with Christ. It is the natural product of that union. And it shows up in terms of what he produces in us and what he produces through us, those two components of it. So what he produces in us first, what we're talking about here are character qualities. He wants to produce some character qualities in us. In Luke chapter 3, verse 8, John the Baptist tells people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, produce fruit in your life that demonstrates your repentance. The fruit in our life will correspond to the condition of our life. We're going to produce some kind of fruit depending on what kind of plant we are and the fruit that we produce will tell what that plant is. Paul describes some character qualities that God wants to produce in us. In Galatians chapter 5, we find the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are character qualities that the true vine wants to produce in us. Paul, again, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, talks about fruit, and he speaks about the fruit of light. He's contrasting light and darkness here, and so in, Galatians, or in Ephesians 5, 9, he says, the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So if we're walking in the light, these things, these character qualities are ones that God will produce in us. So fruit is what comes out of our life based on who we are. It's summed up in one word, really, and that word is Christ-likeness. The fruit that he wants to produce in us is Christ-likeness. We reflect the life of Christ that flows through us as branches of the true vine. And all of these character qualities are just a natural consequence of a life Vitally connected with Christ, the true vine. And this fruit is intended to keep growing our whole life long. In this passage, in John 15, Jesus talks in verse 2 about fruit. And then also in verse 2, he talks about more fruit. And then in verses 5 and 8, he talks about much fruit. And in verse 16, he talks about fruit that lasts. And so we're to see this going on our whole life long. Peter takes up a similar theme in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, um, starting at verse 5, where he says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, 
and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Character qualities that Peter is encouraging these believers to show in their lives. And he goes on to say, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be productive branches. We want to bear good fruit. These are the things he wants to grow in us, character qualities. So fruit is about what our union in Christ is producing in us, and it's also what our union in Christ is producing through us. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives the Great Commission, where he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That Great Commission all comes down to one active imperative verb, and that is make disciples. Make disciples. You can see I've bolded and italicized some other words there. These are words that support that imperative. Go. We are to go. We are also to baptize. We are also to teach. All of that is about making disciples. So the fruit he wants to produce through us is more and better disciples. When Paul is wrestling in Philippians chapter 1 with the possibility that he might be executed soon, you see his struggle there. He knows that being with Christ would be better than living here, but he says, I'm convinced God wants me to stay because he wants me to have more fruitful labor with you. More fruitful labor, that, that is more and better disciples. And Paul prays for the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 that they will be bearing fruit in every good work. This, again, is the kind of fruit God does through us as we bear fruit in making more and better disciples. So God is interested in growing fruit in us, that is Christ-like character, and growing fruit through us, and that is disciples. Think for just a minute about the genius of God's plan in physical fruit, the kind of fruit that we might see on a tree or buy in a grocery store. It, it's delicious to the taste, and it's got seed in it. And, and so you think about the, the genius of this design, God designing fruit that would be attractive to animals, uh, us included, but that would have seed in it. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have had every plant just have seeds that fly away in the wind, but instead he had some that are, are beautiful and delicious and, and we eat them. So a critter comes along and eats a piece of fruit, a, a raccoon finds a, a raspberry bush and eats uh, raspberries and enjoys them, and then he goes off, and a day or so later, um, out of the other end of that raccoon comes uh, something that, we're, that will plant these seeds. So the sweetness was attractive, and the seed allows that plant to be reproduced elsewhere. And you see how that parallels to what God is doing in us and through us? Sweetness 
and seed are both there. The sweetness is this Christ-like character that he wants to develop in us. And the seed is how it spreads through the making of disciples. Sweetness and seed, that's in the fruit that God wants to develop in us and through us. So that's fruit. Next, we talk about bearing. Branches bear fruit. They don't produce fruit. The vine does that. We bear it. The Greek word that's used here means to carry or to bring. That's what we do. We carry fruit. We bring fruit. The fruit comes from him. We get to carry it. It comes through us. How often have you been encouraged to take the list of the fruit of the Spirit, write it out or print it out, stick it on your bathroom mirror and work on it for nine weeks? Uh, my guess is if you've hung around Christian circles for any great length of time, you've probably been encouraged sometime to do that. And so week one, you work on love. And week two, you work on joy. And week three, peace. And, and you work your way through the fruit of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, the, the problem with that is that's not how fruit is produced. Fruit is the natural product of a healthy plant. You don't hear grunts coming from apple trees when you walk through an orchard, right? Uh, it, it grows on apple trees. Apples grow on apple trees when apple trees are healthy. It's the same way with our bearing fruit. We live in the vine, and he produces th fruit through us that we get to carry. We bear it. It takes the pressure off of us for being fruitful. We just need to be branches that are connected to the vine. And he'll see to it that we bear fruit. What's the implication of that? Focus on your relationship with the vine. He'll take care of the fruit. The fruit will follow. So how's your relationship with the vine? Let me just raise a few areas that you might want to think about. If you want to bear fruit, uh, we want to look for some indicators. First of all, how's your love for Jesus? How's your love for Jesus? First of all, do you belong to him? Have you been grafted into the true vine? Apart from him, you're just a branch that will wither and, and blow away. But we find our life in him. And then as we grow to love him more, we want to spend more time with him. How's your time in prayer? How's your desire to grow in a relationship with him. I met a guy many years ago who was just kind of flatlined in his relationship with Jesus. We went out to breakfast together, and I just kind of showed him some materials that would help him grow in that relationship and offered to go through those things with him. And he said, no thanks. I'm just satisfied where I am right now. And I can look at that same guy now many, many years later and go, he's exactly where he was back then. If, if we truly are alive in Christ, we'll want to grow in him. So how's your love for Jesus? And then how's your love for his word? Do you love his word? Do you spend time in it? Uh, I found a, a piece of artwork this week that's uh, pre pretty dated, I'm sure, but it talks about five ways to get a good grip on God's word. We first hear it. Uh, there's so many opportunities these days to hear God's word, not only from pulpits all across the land, but on radio, on podcasts, all kinds of ways to hear it. And 
We can go beyond that, though. We don't need to just hear it. We can read it for ourselves. We can take a Bible home and read it for ourselves. We can dig deeper and study it. That's the third finger of that hand. And as we study it, we'll want to memorize portions of it. And as we have it memorized, we can meditate on it, even in the middle of the night when the lights are out. You, know? you can get a good grip on God's Word when you have those five things going. So how's your love for God's Word? Next, how's your love for Christ's church? I've heard believers say, I, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. Um, I don't know about you, but if you told me, you know, Ken, I, I like you okay, I just can't stand your wife, you and I aren't going to get along particularly well. And the church is the bride of Christ. He died for her. He loves her. We need to love her too. And then how's your love for his mission? The great commission, uh, making disciples, uh, and the great commandment, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. You know, you put all of that together, you've got love God, love people, and bring them together. And that's just a reflection of uh, the mission that we have. Uh, our mission stated here is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Do you love that mission? We need to love Jesus and his mission. Our relationship with Jesus, the true vine, will show in the things we love. Love Jesus, love his word, love his church, love his mission. Now, what do you do if those feelings aren't there? If you don't, <clears throat> excuse me, if you don't love those things the way you think you ought to? Well, there are some things that can help us when those feelings aren't there that will grow that love for those things. They're called spiritual disciplines. And they're little things that we can do that can make an enormous difference in the scope of our life. They can accomplish huge things that we can't do on our own because God does those things in us as we do those little things that we can do. If you look at the change that you would like to see in your life, you'll probably go, that is a huge mountain and I can't climb it. And you're probably right. But there are some little things you can do that will help you as you seek to accomplish the bigger things. Classic spiritual disciplines. God's Word. I want to spend time in that. Prayer. Um, journaling is a discipline that can help us. Uh, Christian fellowship helps us to grow in a relationship with God. Solitude, spending time alone with him, listening for his voice, fasting. These are spiritual disciplines, little things that we can do that can make an enormous difference. And sometimes we just need some help getting back on track in our relationship with Christ. We know we've kind of fallen off the rails and we need to get back on track and that's part of what we're here for as a church. We're not a museum for saints. We're a hospital for sinners. Think about the amazing design of God to put together a bunch of people that may never have chosen one another. Imperfect, flawed, fallen people. And he puts us all together in a context where he gives us his word and he says, now, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Live out your faith in practical 
ways. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say, Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's, that's the life of the church. That's the life of the body. This crazy mix of people that might never have chosen one another that God in his wisdom put together so that we can grow together in Christ-likeness. Let's grow in Christ-likeness together. We're more fruitful when we're working together. And that brings us to the third thing we want to look at, and that is the cutting. Cutting, verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That raises some uncomfortable questions, doesn't it? Does that mean a believer can get cut off from Christ? Let's look at some other passages that can help us. It's always good to compare Scripture with Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 15, Jesus talks about fruit. And he says, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Next slide. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. In other words, you'll, you'll know a tree by the kind of fruit that it's bearing. The fruit will tell us what kind of plant we're looking at. Now, hold that thought and realize that the fruit is the evidence of the type of plant. And Jesus said, grapes don't grow on thorn bushes, figs don't grow on thistle bushes. Given enough time, a tree will tell what kind of tree it is by what kind of fruit it bears. Now, the point in John 15, the true vine passage, is that we, if we are branches connected to the true vine and drawing our life from him, we're going to be fruitful and we'll bear the kind of fruit that he produces in us. Fruit is a byproduct of our life in the vine. It's not about our ability to produce fruit. It's about whether or not we have life that comes from the vine who produces his fruit through us. Fruit is the evidence that a branch is alive, that it has the life of the vine flowing through it. So fruit bearing is a byproduct. Fruitfulness is the outcome of a life that's connected to Jesus. That brings us to the cutting. Branches that don't bear fruit show they're not organically linked to the true vine. If you're organically linked to Christ, he will produce fruit in your life. So what about the in me part where he says uh, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit? Well, 
that suggests there is some apparent connection to Jesus in a person's life. But it may not be the kind of connection that gives life, that saves a person. Let me just spell that out. A person may attend church, may attend church for years and years, may give various uh, indications that he belongs to Christ without really belonging to Christ. A person may have prayed a prayer to receive Christ at some point in his life's history. A person may look and dress and talk like a Christian, but has not actually found life in the vine. We can't see inside. We don't know what's going on there. We don't know if the person has truly connected with Christ, the true vine, and found life in him. All we can do is look for fruit. And where there's no fruit, there is cause for concern. Consider a parable that Jesus told in Mark chapter 4. We probably know it as the parable of the sower. It's someone who is sowing seed, scattering seed. And he scatters seed on four different types of soil. Some falls on the path that is hardened by people walking on it, and it doesn't even have a chance. The birds get it right away. Some falls among weeds and produces plants, but the weeds choke those young plants out. Some falls on rocky soil, produces plants that can't develop roots. And only one falls on good soil and ultimately bears fruit. Now, if the seed is the gospel, and it is, and it falls on different types of soil, we need to see that hearing the gospel doesn't always result in fruitfulness. In that parable, the seed needs to be nourished and it needs to grow deep roots in order to bear fruit. Now apply that to sharing the gospel. If you share the gospel, there will be some who will be hardened to the gospel and won't want to listen to it at all. Others will be receptive but they won't grow roots. They may seem interested. They may even seem to have received the message, but it doesn't take hold in their life. Others may also be receptive, but they're surrounded by influences that gain dominance in their life, and the message doesn't take hold there either. There is some connection to the message of the gospel, but the person has not found life in Christ. What will tell? Only time. Only time. And it will tell when they bear fruit that's consistent with whatever is inside them. Our problem is that we can't see inside them. Our problem is we, we may see a sprout coming out of the ground and conclude the person's now a believer. And we go, hey, hey, I see a sprout, new life. Yay, God. Thank you, Jesus. And we celebrate, and we should. We should. But we also ought to know that a lot can happen to that new sprout. 
We need to nurture it and feed it and water it so that it survives and gets to maturity and ultimately bears fruit. The thing that gives the greatest evidence of conversion is fruit. In the parable, Jesus talks about some bearing 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. But from our perspective, only time will tell. So let's just leave the parable of the sower for now and come back to the vineyard. The greatest evidence that a graft has found life in the vine is that that graft bears fruit. Fruit is the natural product of a life that's linked with Jesus, the true vine. If there is that union, there will be fruit that corresponds to it. And if you find no fruit in your life, no character transformation, no ministry coming out of your life, then you need to ask yourself some tough questions. One question is, am I really saved? Am I really saved? Paul challenges the Corinthians with that question. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Are you really saved? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord? Church attendance won't do it for you. You can even learn all the language of the evangelical subculture, fool a lot of people. But if you haven't acknowledged your need for a Savior and accepted his gift of forgiveness, you may look like a branch, but you're not really his. And you have nothing to look forward to when you stand before a holy God and say, look at these terrific leaves that I've produced. He's looking for fruit, not leaves. And he produces that only through a union with his son, the true vine. Another way to ask the question is, do I really know the Lord? You may be doing all sorts of Christian things, but do you really know him? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Notice he didn't say, I once knew you, but you fell away. He says, I never knew you. Do you know him? I wish I could give each of you the assurance that you really are in him. But that's a question you've each got to answer for yourselves. What I can tell you is this. Uh, he wants us to have assurance of our salvation. He wants us to know that we're secure in a relationship with him. In 1 John chapter 5, in, starting at verse 11, he says, This is the testimony God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. If you have Jesus, you have life. And then that next verse is so vital. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. If you have the Son, if you are in union with him, you are secure. You have life, and no one can take that from you. He wants us not just to hope. He wants us to know. One last word we want to look at, and that is pruning. We don't like the idea of getting pruned. 
We don't like the idea of anything on us getting cut. We don't want to be meddled with. But in the grand scheme of the vineyard, pruning is essential. If we're to be productive branches of the true vine, we need to be pruned. So what's that mean? Well, let's think about what gets cut. I, I like to grow tomatoes, and I nip off the sucker branches because they're never going to bear fruit, right? They're the ones that grow up between the, the, the trunk of it and a, and a branch. If you see one growing up right in there, just nip it right off because it can get leafy and everything, but it'll never bear fruit. It'll just suck energy from the plant. The vineyard's a different place. It's very different there. Pruning a branch of a grapevine uh, is, is different and it's drastic. Uh, there is no plant that requires more drastic pruning than the grapevine. And here's why. A branch of a grapevine will grow 8 to 10 feet in a season. Now, if at the start of the next growing season, the vine had to fill all of last year's growth with sap before it could start new growth and the production of fruit, it wouldn't bear good fruit. So everything that grew last season has to be cut away. When it's time to prune, the gardener cuts off last season's growth so that the vine can give its sap fully to the production of fruit rather than wasting it by filling up last year's growth. See the implication? What gets pruned is not just diseased parts of a plant. What gets pruned is what actually produced fruit last season. In other words, what gets pruned away is not sin, but the very signs of progress in our lives. The things we develop in service to God have to be pruned, or you know what will happen? We'll begin to rely on them and not on the vine that produced them. Let me give you an example. If you've got the gift of hospitality, what happens when you rely on that? You begin to focus on method rather than the spirit of hospitality, and the purpose of hospitality gets lost because you're focused on method. You're trying to bear fruit. You're trying to grow fruit. You're trying to produce fruit yourself. Have you ever taught a class and pulled out a lesson plan that was a real winner a couple years ago? Or led a retreat and tried to replicate what worked well in another group. What's been your most fruitful contribution to the body? Can you see how you might be tempted to rely on your own abilities rather than on the vine who wants to produce new fruit through you? God wants you and me to cling to him, to depend on him. And he'll cut away all of what used to produce fruit so that we're close to the vine and we'll constantly experience new growth and the fruit that's produced will be clearly from him. Is that discouraging to you? Think about it a little bit. When he prunes us, he gets us back to the point where we're just very close to him. Not a lot of self to show. There's not a lot of our effort left to show. Just us and the vine gets us back to the basics, reduces our pride, causes us to be more dependent 
on him allows us to be more fruitful for him. So if that's how he prunes us, what's the pruning knife? Is it affliction? No, a lot of people have that, and very few benefit from it. Affliction only is productive when it's combined with submission to God's will. Now we see what the true pruning knife is in verse 3, where Jesus says, You are already clean, or pruned, because of the word I have spoken to you. The pruning knife is the word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word gives us fresh insights, new growth, greater fruitfulness. Our tendency as human beings is to avoid the knife, right? We don't want the knife. We don't want anybody cutting on us. We like what we produced last season. We want it to stay. We want to use it again. We like to talk about it. We like to rest in it. We don't want to see it get cut away. But what bore fruit for you as an individual last season or for us as a church last season needs to get cut away. So it's just us and the vine again. A lot of people who are willing to tell you about what great witnesses they used to be or what a great small group ministry they used to have or how vital their relationship with the Lord used to be or how many answers to prayer they used to see, or how much of God's word they used to memorize. But all the used tos don't matter anymore. They get pruned away. The critical question is, how are you responding to God's word today? Is it coming to you fresh? And are you seeing fresh fruit in your life for him? A number of years ago, a group of singers came to the church that I was in and presented a concert, and at the end of the concert, invited people just to deal honestly with God and talk to him about their relationship with God. And there was a little stirring in the group, and, and one young man just kind of broke, and he came down, and he said, I've been going through the motions. I've been fooling people, and I'm ready to stop fooling people. Needed to get real with God. And maybe there's someone here this morning who's like that young man. Been going through the motions. And you realize now it's time to get real. Time to get connected to the true vine. Time to find life in him. Come to him. Come to him today. I'd love to pray with you after the service is over. Maybe uh, you're here this morning and you're worn out trying to be more fruitful. You need to just take another look at your relationship with the true vine. If you're abiding in him, he'll produce fruit in you. Develop the relationship. Rest in him. He'll take care of the fruit. Maybe you think you're doing well because of the fruit that you used to see in your life. Is there something that's blocking him producing fresh fruit in you now? Maybe you're not happy with the way he's been treating your fruit lately. You've produced it and you want him to use it in a certain way, and he's not doing with it what you'd want him to do, but fruit's his. It's not ours. We, we get to carry it. We get to bear it. It's his. He's produced it, and he can do with it as he pleases. You know, the, the juice that we drink when we take communion here on Sunday used to be a beautiful cluster of grapes. And that had to be taken away from its branch and crushed in order to become useful. 
Let him have the fruit. Don't try to hang on to it yourself. Bottom line is this. How's your relationship with the true vine? Only you and he really know. Is there a step you can take today to give yourself more fully to him and to trust him to produce fruit in you that he can use as he wants? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these lessons from the vineyard that you have shown us. Thank you that you want to produce fruit in us and through us. You want to replicate Christ-like character in us, and you want us to be able to take the seed, not only the sweetness, but the seed of that gospel to others and share the good news with them. So, Father, keep us close to yourself. Prune away all that used to be effective and cause us to see fresh growth in our lives that we might be as fruitful and productive as you would have us be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.